Now let me ask you a tough question, and then I want you to answer it honestly. What do you think of God? Now before you answer that, let me give you a standard to measure it by. You can measure how you think of God by considering how you use His name. You see, that's what the third commandment is all about. It exposes just what we think of God by seeing how we use the holy name of the Lord. And if we can just use it irreverently and casually throw around God's name, either as a swear word or in superficial, pious-sounding phrases like praise God, praise Jesus, God bless you every two seconds, or worse yet, run around needlessly swearing a bunch of oaths in his name and then don't even bother keeping them, then it shows that we really don't think much of God at all. Because the third commandment teaches that those who truly love the Lord will carefully handle his name. We want you to stay tuned with us tonight on Sinners and Saints as we take up the third commandment. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. Hey, thanks for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. We're continuing on in our series on the Ten Commandments, and tonight we're down to the Third Commandment. And joining us as usual for our discussion is Reverend Adam Kalushin from Ontario United Reformed Church and Reverend Moses Genbazian from Pasadena URC. And I'm John Sautel, pastor of All Saints Reformed Church, a church plant out in Walnut, California. And as I said, we're going to be taking up the Third Commandment tonight. We've done uh, a number of shows on the first and the second. Last time we talked extensively about issues of worship and how the second commandment applies real practically in terms of the sphere of worship. And today we take up the the third commandment. And before we begin discussing actually what it is, I want to take a moment just to read it for you just so you're familiar with it. It says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So we have a couple questions here as we think about this commandment. First of all, what is it to, t- to take the name of the Lord in vain, and what is it to take up the name of the Lord? Uh, there's a couple of different things that we should look at first. Yeah, well, the, the basic and obvious meaning of this commandment is referring to the taking of the Lord's name in an oath. So to take the name of the Lord, to take up the name of the Lord, refers to someone who would be a swearing in the name of the Lord that they were telling the truth, calling on God to witness uh, the truth for them. But when you think about the third commandment, we want you to think a little bit more broadly than that. You remember how in the second commandment, uh, the commandment itself said, I forbid you to make idols and to worship them. But as we pointed out, that was pointing to a broader principle that God may only be worshipped as he appoints worship. The same thing's going on in the third commandment. It says... Uh, do not vainly take an oath in the name of the Lord your God, but it's pointing to a broader principle, which is that we should always hold the name of God sacred. We should never use it profanely, irreverently, or contemptuously, whether it be in an oath or any time else. Well, okay, <clears throat> let's just be real practical about this a second, though. How do you take up the name of the Lord? It's always kind of struck me as um, a bit odd or somewhat perplexing. How do you take up the name? Well, let's go back to the primary meaning of the commandment, the oath. 
if you're taking an oath, taking up the name of the Lord means that you call on God to witness that what you are saying is true. So let's say that I'm in a dispute in a court or with my neighbor about something, and uh, the court is not persuaded that I'm telling the truth or needs to have some assurance that I will tell the truth. So I will say, I swear by the name of God Almighty that I am telling the truth. So to, just to, for, sim- for, simple, for simplicity, taking is a verbal thing then. Yes. That's the main way you take the name of the Lord in vain is you start uttering words or some sort of a formula where you're calling upon the divine name to witness or authorize or authenticate something. And that's basically what taking is. Yeah, that's basically what it means. Now, again, it's representing something more broad than that, too, because what's lying behind me taking the name of the Lord God on my lips is what I'm thinking about him in my mind, how I understand him in my heart. So this outward oath-taking is representing something broader, which is my whole view of God in my mind, heart, soul. Okay, one of the things I think, and you you brought up a, a, a number of things there that we're going to have to talk through in a moment, but... Generally, when people hear this commandment, if they're at all familiar with it, and if they have any kind of convictions about it, the first thing they think of when they say, when they hear, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain, is you can't use uh, swear words. That is the way that mostly we've been taught on these things, but it doesn't really do justice to what this is saying. And I think what we have already said is correct. This is about oath-taking primarily. It is upon calling upon God and asking him to be a witness, to testify to the veracity of your statement. And when you reduce it simply to just cursing, I think it trivializes what the commandment is saying. But it's not just about any swear words, though. I mean, it, it, can it really refer as broadly as referring to what we would call explicatives or gutter talk? Well, I would say that in one sense, yes, in another sense, no. This commandment does forbid the use of the name of God or of our Savior Christ or of the Holy Spirit Uh, used as an expletive. But it's important that we understand the way in which that commandment forbids it. Remember, the commandment itself is referring to oaths, but behind the idea of vainly taking an oath or lying in the name of God on an oath is the broader principle that we use his name and think of him reverently. And therefore, because saying God's name casually in a curse or Jesus Christ as a curse word, is an obvious way in which we would use his name irreverently. That's how this commandment forbids it. But see, some people just very quickly say, take the name of the Lord God in vain means you say anything. But you have to understand it properly so you can apply it correctly. That's why I don't think, for instance, in this commandment, other kinds of expletives are forbidden. They may be in other commandments, but not here in this one. This one is particularly concerned with the name of the Lord our God. Okay, well, let's take... Probably the most common way people talk about the name of the Lord, and that is in maybe pious, superficial kind of sounding ways. Praise God. Praise Jesus. You're saying you're drawing a distinction between that and using it as an explicative. Well, actually, not so much drawing a distinction between the two, but I'm lumping them in the same category. Because whether you're using God's name as a curse word, as an expletive, or whether you're trivializing his name by speaking it casually as if it's just to be thrown about in all kinds of common ways without much thought, you're guilty of the same thing. You're not giving the due reverence to God's name, which is required of us. Stay tuned with us after the break. We come back on Sinners and Saints. We're going to continue to talk to you about the application of the third commandment and discuss uh, the kinds of irreverent and unholy ways in which we use God's name. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. 
Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalusti, and I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway, go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right, and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED. There is no greater joy in the Christian's life than to worship God according to his word, and there is nowhere better in the San Gabriel Valley to do this than at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. So come join us this Sunday at 9 a.m. and at 6 p.m. at 226 West Colorado Boulevard in Arcadia. You can call us at 866-99-UNITED or look us up on the web at sinnersaint.org. All right, we're back here after the break. We want to thank you again for joining us on Sinners and Saints. As uh, we've already indicated, we're talking through a series on the Ten Commandments. Tonight we're dealing with the Third Commandment and its various applications. And we were into this at the tail end of the last segment. I want to come back to it because it seems to me this is one of the most common ways that people understand the application of the Third Commandment. And maybe also be one of the most common ways people violate the Third Commandment is in the light and superficial use of the holy name of God. And I'll just throw out an example. I, I remember uh, <clears throat> this man uh, who used to be a part of one of our teams and uh, basketball teams, and every time something good was done, or it didn't have to be anything good almost, it was constantly throwing around, oh, praise Jesus, praise Jesus, praise Jesus, to the point at which it was almost, it was a strange way of using the name. I'll just put it like that. And it was constant and repetitive. That seems to me a violation of the commandment. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the church who would absolutely die if they walked into a supermarket and heard somebody say, you know, GD this or JC that, right? But a lot of times these are the same people who will use the name of God so casually and so trivially. Uh, you know, always calling upon the name of the Christ or saying, you know, God bless you at every opportunity without giving any due reverence to the holy name of God and thinking about the substance of what they're saying. And what we're arguing is that is a similar violation of the third commandment as using the name of the Lord as a curse word. It's also part of the same problem of trying to make everything holy around you. I mean, God has made a distinction in the days. He has made a distinction in what is worship versus what is ordinary life. And we need to keep that in mind. And so every single event that occurs does not need to immediately be followed up with, oh, thank you, Jesus type of a thing. Yes, it must in our minds always be there that it's by God's providence. He is allowing us to live this life and giving us all blessings. But he has also appointed appropriate times for thanking him so that we don't trivialize our opportunity to worship him and to pray to our God. So that's one of the things that has to be distinguished. These people are often doing it attempting to be holy or pious, but what they're really doing is cheapening holiness so that there actually is no holiness left. Everything becomes common. Yeah, it's definitely a sacrilegious, cheap, superficial, irreverent use of the name of God. I'm not saying that when you say at appropriate times, thank the Lord or praise God, that, that that's a violation of this commandment. That's a worshipful, proper, holy, reverent use of the name. But you know the difference. When it's incessant, repetitive uh, use of the name of the Lord, like it's almost a good luck charm or something like that, it's completely beyond a proper, holy use of the name of the Lord. Uh, but we could kind of move away from that. I, I do think that's the most common association we have this command, but... 
as we said, as you begin to interpret this commandment in light of the broader scriptures, you begin to see that it has much more to do with than simply uh, repeating God's name frivolously or, or, or what have you. It has also to do with oaths. Yeah, I don't want to pass over the basic you know, original context of the commandment either. I mean, it's no accident that God chose to represent this idea of using his name reverently by instructing us how to properly take oaths. You know, there are people who say that uh, no oath is, should ever be used. And in fact, to make an oath would be contrary to uh, the will of God, ever now, take on. his name in oath. Let, let, let's, let's, let's go back to the scriptures to show why they say that. I mean, you, you have these people out there who are saying, well, that's straight out of the Bible, uh, Pastor Adam, because the Bible says you shall not swear any oaths in his name. Jesus says you shall not swear by heaven or, or earth at all. Matthew 5.34, or you hear James talking about right. James 5.12. Well, you got to remember, it's important to read the Bible in its context, right? There are a number of examples in the Old Testament scripture where God commands that oaths be taken in his name. So, for example, Exodus 22, verse 10. If a man delivers to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast and keeps it and it dies and it is hurt or it's driven away and no one sees it, then an oath of the Lord shall be taken between them both, that he has not put his hand to his neighbor's goods and the owner shall accept it and he shall not make it good. So you see here the Lord commands in here and a number of other places that oaths be taken in his name. So the question is, what does Jesus all mean? Right, but, all right, but I can anticipate a quick objection to that. And this was one that was offered up against the Reformers defensive oath taking at the time of the Reformation. Well, that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. You, in the New Testament, you have Jesus saying very clearly, you shall not uh, uh, swear oaths in the name of God, neither by heaven nor by earth. Well, you need to think about why Jesus would say something like that. And the reason why Jesus says something like that is because unbelieving Jews at the time, you know, professing to believe in the Lord God Almighty, but really unbelieving in their heart, would take trivial oaths in the name of the Lord. They would call upon the name of the Lord and say basically whatever they wanted with disregarding the truth, disregarding equity in the society, and that is what Jesus was forbidding. And also it was a game that they would play so that they wouldn't take the oath necessarily by God's name, but by the temple right. or by the altar. So there, there was this gradation of things so that you know if you weren't going to be quite so sincere, you would take your oath from something on an item that was less holy in a way. So that's what Christ is forbidding. He's telling them, no, don't play games. You must say the truth at all times. Right, and, and it was thought to be not as binding, therefore, if you violated your word of oath, then, well, at least you didn't call God into witness. And so you're, you know, you're, the curse of, of the covenant is gonna, isn't going to come upon you. So you have the trivial use of it, but let me just throw in a little twist here. You clearly have passages in the New Testament where you have uh, maybe the Apostle Paul or somebody else taking an oath as well in the New Testament scriptures. So how do we deal with this? It's, it's still a tricky issue. You have Jesus and you have James clearly, it seems to say, no oath. And then you have the Apostle Paul taking yeah, oaths. Yeah, Romans 1.9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. This is what Paul says, the apostle, inspired by the same spirit who inspired Jesus' words and the words of James. So it seems here that we're on the horns of a significant dilemma because we have two equally authoritative New Testament passages which seem to uh, say two different things. So we come back after the break. We're going to unravel this apparent discrepancy for you. Stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. Americans are known for their independence and self-reliance. We take little stock in other people's opinions. 
Americans want to examine and form our own conclusions about everything, and if something isn't to our liking, we'll fix it. These characteristics have served us well in casting off monarchies and taming the wild frontier. But are they really the best qualities for building Christ's church? At Grace Evangelical Church, we think one thing our culture doesn't need to reinvent are the tried and tested truths of Orthodox Christianity. We take delight in the faith of our fathers, in the biblical truths captured by the three forms of unity. We believe the truths of the Reformation gospel of justification by faith alone are the only solution for the multitude of problems that face America today. We invite you to come worship with us at Grace Evangelical Church. For more information, you may contact us at area code 310-782-7019. That's 310-782-7019. Okay, as promised at the end of the last break, we said uh, we were going to try to unravel just for a moment here this, uh, this dilemma that we have here between uh, Jesus and James seemingly very clearly saying, don't take an oath. And then you have the Apostle Paul, other apostles, other examples, even God uh, the New Testament records took an oath to confirm his covenant promises to Abraham in Hebrews chapter 6. How do we handle this difference? Yeah, 2 Corinthians one twenty three. Moreover, Paul says, I call God as witness. Well, the way, you, the way you handle this dilemma is to just remember the point that God is arguing in Matthew 5.34 and James 5.12 against the abuse of oaths, the trivial use of oaths. It's also a very important thing that the believer's word means something. And that's what's being argued for here is that James is telling the believer, you are to be a truth speaker because you are sons of light and you have been saved by the father of truth. And therefore, you are ordinarily going to say what is. So your yes will mean yes. Your no will mean no. You're not going to be someone that everyone tries to figure out what you're trying to say. This is another one of those instances, I guess, where uh, we said this before that um, these commandments uh, interrelate. So obviously three and nine would interrelate. The holy name of God, using the holy name of God correctly, at some level is going to bear just on the general truthfulness or trustworthiness of our words, which is exactly uh, what the ninth commandment is also about, is that we uh, we speak honestly, we don't defame the name of others and so forth. So there's an interrelatedness here between the commandments, but you you bring something up with this. We talk about the general reliability of the believer's word, but we still think and we still believe it's biblical, however, that we do swear oaths in God's name. So maybe we could talk for a moment just a little bit about the kinds of situations in which it is appropriate and proper and God-honoring to, to take oaths. Okay, well, first of all, it's important when you would consider taking an oath in the name of the Lord our God that you think about why you're doing it. The first thing you have to acknowledge and, and think clearly in your mind is that you are calling on his name because he himself is the eternal and unchangeable truth. You see, therefore, there's no one better. It's actually a, an act of worship toward him to call upon his name because you're acknowledging that he is the truth. And secondly, you're acknowledging that because he is the truth, there is no one better than him to be the witness to what you are saying since he best discerns the hearts of men. Yeah, the Heidelberg Catechism draws this out. I mean, part of the one of the constituent parts of a biblical oath is that it's in the name of God. We can't swear by creatures, earth, heaven, stars, whatever. We swear in the name of God, and the reason given by the catechism is that a lawful oath is a calling upon God as the only searcher of hearts to bear witness to the truth and punish me if I swear falsely, uh, which honor is due to no creature. In other words, if it's to be a valid oath, there has to be somebody who's basically omniscient, 
who's mm-hmm. basically uh, going to stay on the task of making sure that you fulfill that oath and that if you don't, certain penalties or sanctions are going to be brought upon you for violating that. And nobody else could do that, of course, except for a sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient God. There are the appropriate times where it is necessary to have this testimony because sometimes people's lives are on the line. If you are testifying in a court of law, and especially if it's a murder trial or something else where a man's going to be penalized, you need to make sure that the testimony is sure and true, and therefore it is appropriate to take the oath in order to call in God as a final witness that what you are saying is true. Okay, now some people are going to say, well, that's fine. Uh, It's legitimate to take oaths. in in the situation of a courtroom or if you're going to, uh, for instance, join the military or something like that. But only in the sphere of public kinds of situations can you do that. Well, the problem with that thinking is that clearly the Bible gives examples of people of God taking vows in private situations. You see this with Abraham and Isaac and Abimelech, Genesis 21, Genesis 26, Genesis 31. They're taking private vows, It's not in the public sphere. And so there may be times, we would say, in the Christian life, among brothers and sisters in the Lord, where if there is some kind of a dispute or something significant enough that it needs the veracity of the creator of the world, that we would invoke the name of the Lord in taking that oath. Maybe, for example, you're having a dispute with your neighbor. We read that example from the law earlier, where he's convinced that you have offended or stolen from him in a certain way. You say that you haven't, and there's no, there's no other witnesses around to verify one way or the other. So then you would say, well, I take an oath in the name of the Lord my God that I have not offended you and your brother, hearing you take the name of the Lord your God and knowing your character, will then accept your word in that situation. Yeah, Calvin gives a nice principle here. He says, They may not be rash, indiscriminate, wanton, or trifling, but that they may serve a just need, either to vindicate the Lord's glory or to further a brother's edification. So there's basically your working principle, to vindicate the Lord's glory, to say, no, it's true. I'm telling the truth. I'm I'm representing God. I'm calling upon his name. Or to further a brother's edification so that he can absolutely be certain his conscience is clear, your conscience is clear, and there's no more room for dispute about something. It's legitimate to take an oath. Well, we have other things that we want to talk about in terms of the application of the third commandment, but we're going to go ahead and cover those next week when we get into uh, how it applies to uh, true doctrine and false doctrine and so forth. But uh, we want to end the show tonight by reminding you of the PayPal account on our website. That's sinnersaint.org, sinnersaint.org. We want to thank you guys who have been listening for some time now. And when you heard the call to take advantage of that PayPal account and contribute to the show, uh, some of you have. And we want to tell you we really appreciate your support. But if you've been listening to the show for a while and you're making use of it, you find it profitable and edifying, uh, we want to make sure that you go ahead and check out the sinnersaint.org centersaint.org or centersaint website and go ahead and click on the PayPal account and contribute as you have been blessed. Yeah, some people have been asking me if uh, they don't have a PayPal account, can they contribute to the show? And you can. You just go on the website, centersaint.org, click on the make a donation button. You can use a credit card or anything that you have. You know, but more important than that, too, uh, I do want to reintroduce you to the idea of this church plant in the city of Walnut. Now, you can get in touch with us at 866-99-UNITED. Pastor John will be happy to return your call. You punch through to that Walnut. Uh, you know, they're beginning their uh, worship services coming in March. It's a real exciting opportunity to be part of a church right from its inception. That's right. March 5th, uh, first Sunday in the month of March, we're going to be meeting out in the city of Walnut. If you want more information, you can go ahead and check us out at allsaintsreform.org. That's allsaintsreform.org. We want to thank you for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. 
Stay tuned with us next week as we tackle more applications of the third command. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED.